the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, let's welcome into the program um, our friend and author, Dr. Gregory Allen Thornberry. He's president of the King's College in New York City, speaker on faith, pop culture, and cultural trends. You can see his work all over the place. Uh, we've met him a couple times. He was just in Pittsburgh last year. But his newest project is, I'm telling you, if you're a music fan, if you're a CCM fan, if you just want to understand what the culture of the 1960s was like and do a, a quick compare and contrast between today's culture, I mean, there are so many similarities. The, the new book is called Larry Norman, Why Does the Devil Have All the Good Music? Oh, so here's Larry Norman. whiskey from a paper cup You drown your sorrows till you can't stand up Take a look at what you've done to yourself Why don't you You put the bottle back on the shelf Yellow fingered from your cigarettes Your hands are shaking while your body sweats Why don't you look into Jesus He got the answer Yeah. Larry Norman, that's a pretty good song. What year was that? Any idea? I bet Greg Thornberry knows. Greg, welcome in. How are you? It's great to talk to you guys again. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Uh, All right, so what year did that come out, Greg? Why Don't You Look Into Jesus was actually written uh, in the late 1960s by Larry Norman, and it was a song written for Janis Joplin. Larry Norman was opening up for Janis Joplin at a big concert uh, called the Human BN in San Francisco. Uh, other bands that were there were uh, people like The Doors and Jimi Hendrix and uh, Santana. And he was sharing the stage with these people, and he saw Janis Joplin standing on stage, uh, you know, knowing that she was a heroin addict, and there was a bottle of Southern Comfort whiskey at the foot of the microphone stand and a Dixie cup. And his heart went out to her, and so he wrote that song, Why Don't You Look Into Jesus? He's Got the Answer. So that song was actually recorded and put out in 1972, the version that you just heard, uh, on a record called Only Visiting This Planet, which was on a major secular record label, MGM Verve. And um, Billboard magazine, at that time when that record came out, called Larry Norman probably the most important songwriter since Paul Simon. Wow. So there was a time when Christians were actually relevant in the uh, secular music scene and were not uh, sequestered off into this little subculture. I see. So for Greg, for you, what's, what's the fascination with Larry Norman? Why now? Well, I mean, first of all, he was a pioneer. There was no such thing as Christian contemporary music or Christian rock before he came along. He was the first one. His album on Capitol Records in 1969, uh, Upon This Rock, uh, launched that whole uh genre, not only that, but really the Jesus movement, which was a national phenomenon. We forget that there was a time right after the Death of God movement in the 1960s where a Pied Piper like Larry Norman and other people like uh, Arthur Blessett 
and uh, and others were uh, leading a massive nationwide revival that started in Southern California uh, with the ministry of people like Larry Norman and caught the nation by storm. Uh, Time, Newsweek, Life magazine, all caught the phenomenon. And um, it's hard to remember a time when uh, there was this uh, there was this incredible focus of artistry and uh, competitiveness. Larry Norman was was not like a lot of Christian artists where he crossed his fingers and hoped that someday he might have uh, the chance to be on a secular record label after putting out a bunch of records on obscure Christian labels. He was uh, someone who was very well known in the rock community. Paul McCartney said, I love your music, Larry. And uh, Bob Dylan was a fan. And uh, current artists like Bono and Black Francis from Pixies, uh, the great alternative group, uh, Black Francis endorsed my book. Uh, Larry Norman was somebody that was one of a kind. He was a trailblazer. He was uh, a wild boar in Christ's vineyard. And he was doing something very, very unique. At that time, and Kathy mentioned this at the top of the show, the church didn't want to have anything to do with uh, rock and roll. The the flatted third in the pentatonic blues scale was called the Devil's Interval. Hmm. They said it's African drum music, it's evil, it's wicked, don't let your kids listen to it. You would bring your records to the church and have them burned. And on the other side, you had the secular music industry that was incredibly popular. The whole youth culture was going after it, and nobody was speaking to these kids. Mm-hmm. And so here's Larry Norman on Capitol Records, MGM Records, hugely distinguished in his own field, and yet talking about Jesus. And Paul McCartney said to him, man, you could be such a superstar if you just shut up about religion. Mm-hmm. But he kept talking about Jesus. We need to step away. But when we come back, um, we're going to continue our conversation with author Greg Thornberry. We're talking about his brand new book, Larry Norman, Why Does the Devil Have All the Good Music? There was a time in America of cataclysmic change in the 60s. We had the assassination of leaders. We had the Vietnam War, Man on the Moon. I mean, life was changing around us. Um, What did Christian popular music speak into that? And how did it give a voice to a different generation? That's next on today's Right Home. That's the music of Larry Norman, the president of King's College in New York City. Dr. Gregory Allen Thornberry joins us. His brand new book is called Larry Norman, Why Does the Devil Have All the Good Music? Uh, I'll tell a quick story. I'm one of seven kids. I'm next to the youngest of seven kids. And my brother, my only brother, is six years older than me. So in uh, 1971, I believe, my brother uh, had served in the military uh, in the early to late 60s, came back and was done with the military and grew his hair long. So essentially in 1971, my brother, even though he had served in Vietnam, was a hippie. 
And uh, my family uh, was invited to uh, a, a place uh, up in Lake Erie at a cottage. And we all went up and, and spent uh, the weekend there. And like we were good churchgoers, we all went to church on Sunday morning. Now, at the time, my brother's hair was probably halfway down of his, his back. And again, 1971. But I remember being in this church and being a very young kid. I bet you I was 11 or maybe 12 years old. And as we're worshiping, and the, the, the pastor that is, is preaching, he literally came down out of the pulpit and stood next to my brother and started preaching to my brother about the evils of the culture. I mean, I, I didn't know what was going on. My sisters, my very uh, strong-willed sisters, um, they got up, and I thought one of them was going to punch the pastor. Instead, they took me and my other siblings by the hands, and we walked out of that church in the middle of service. Now, I tell the story only to illustrate how vitriolic the culture was at the mm. time to, in air quotes, so-called hippies, and my brother's representation of that, even though he was a veteran and had served his country in Vietnam. And it's hard for us, I think, in some ways... T- to look back at that time and not remember what exactly the country was going through. Yeah. All right, Greg, so you hear that story. This is the world that Larry Norman had grown up in, and he was at the forefront of rock music when this kind of relationship between church and parishioner was going on. Yeah, I mean, Larry saw that exact kind of situation, and he grew up in a church and said, you know, uh, why are we building nice little churches uh, with multi-million dollar buildings when there's the poor out on the streets, and uh, why are we closing ourselves off to an entire generation of young people who are seeking for something more? the kids that were part of the Vietnam uh, War culture, uh, whether they served or not. That story is heartbreaking. And Larry stood in the gap for them as a, as a buffer and a bulwark between uh, the church and the world and said, you don't have to give up on Jesus uh, in order to, um, you know, be someone that that knows who you are and, and, and appreciates the arts and culture and stands against American warmongering and institutional racism and a lack of concern for, for justice. And he became uh, a beacon of hope and light to several generations uh, of young people, not just at that time of the Jesus movement, but throughout the 1970s and, and 80s. Anywhere I go speak, and it's mentioned that I've written a book on Larry Norman. There's somebody that comes up and says his music meant so much to mm-hmm. me at a really critical time in my life. And the line that comes to my mind, based upon the story you just told, John, was his most one of his most famous songs, Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? Uh, he says, uh, they say to cut my hair, they're driving me insane. I grew it out long to make room for my brain. Sometimes people don't understand what's a Christian doing in a rock and roll band. <laughs> But, but Greg, the, the side that the church was trying to uphold was the side of morality, right? The, the side of decency. And, and the hippie movement was trying to deconstruct all of that. Right. I mean, and Greg, we talked about this today. You look at, you know, uh, 20 years, 1945 to 1965, you know, America had essentially just saved the world. But then in the mid-60s, all, you know, there was an explosion. I mean, JFK had already been, ki- been killed. The Vietnam War was just, you know, really ramping up. And 
MLK and, had been killed. Right. Man I mean, was not on the yet. Moon. MLK was, you know, pretty soon. And, you know, Bobby Kennedy. Man, there was this huge turmoil. And the church found itself in the middle of it. But, you know, the way the church had responded, you know, for centuries was, we are the church. We're not going to change. We don't need to change. Culture needs to bend to us, not vice versa. No, that was exactly their mentality, and it was one of the reasons why Martin Luther King Jr. had to write a letter from a Birmingham jail to white Southern pastors and say, if the church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the uh, the early Christian community and the apostolic uh, witness of uh, ancient uh, centuries past, it will uh, be regarded as nothing more than an irrelevant social club for the 20th century. And uh, that's exactly what was happening in the 60s. The culture was changing very fast, and the church said, um, you know, uh, we both stand on the promises and sit on the premises, and uh, we're not going to change. You're going to have to come to us. And what they found was... uh, uh, a whole generation of young people leaving and going elsewhere for answers, whether it was the Beatles to their Maharishi Mahesh Yogis or whether it was other kinds of New Age religion. And so uh, someone like Larry Norman could write a song like Forget Your Hexagram and and say, listen, you're, you're consulting Ouija boards and going to tarot card readers and and uh, you're looking at the stars to figure out what you should do for your life. Somebody had to tell them about the good news of Jesus. And at the time, Larry was the only person doing it. He was out on the streets of Hollywood, you know, after he left his job at Capitol Records, you know, talking to, you know, streetwalkers and and prostitutes and drug addicts and really people that the church would have nothing to do with. And some of those people not only got converted, but started huge Christian ministries like Susan Perlman, who was one of those, you know, lost kids that Larry found on the streets of Los Angeles, and she went on to start Jews for Jesus with Moishe Rosen. Hmm. So um, we, we forget that there was a time when the, the church felt like they didn't have to uh, speak to culture, that uh, they, could, they could just uh, sit back and everything would stay the same as it ever was. And what they found was uh, uh, there was a revolution happening out in the streets. Right. But Greg, let's talk about Larry Norman himself, though, because it wasn't like he was, you know, 15 years old and thought, I want to be the person who's going to bridge the gap between the church and popular music, right? It, was a, it happened organically. I mean, it was just... From reading your book, he seems like a kind of guy. He's musically talented. He's prodigious in his output. He's noticed early. He signs a record deal, but he can't forget about Jesus. He can't stop singing and writing about Jesus. Yeah, uh, the story is that uh, he was in a band that had a top 20 hit in uh, 1968. Uh, the band was called People! Exclamation point. And uh, they were getting pretty popular. They were signed to Capitol Records. And uh, the rest of the band members, or several of the band members, became Scientologists. And uh, yeah. they, they uh, saw Larry as a suppressive person, to use uh, L. Ron Hubbard's uh, phrase. And so they wanted him to leave the band because Larry wanted to call their first record, uh, We Need a Whole Lot More of Jesus and a Lot Less uh, Rock and Roll. 
and uh, Capitol Records said, mm, we don't like that. We don't want you talking about religion. So actually, I think Larry was wanting to do it m- much earlier on, and he wasn't satisfied just writing songs about, you know, Girl, I Love You and Surfing USA, you know, there in Southern California. He wanted to write songs that connected with the, the despair and loneliness and anxiety of people in his generation. So some of his songs are just straight-up love songs. But he felt like that spiritual longing could be addressed with a form of popular music that actually came from the church. This is the irony. Larry knew that rhythm and blues, which rock and roll is based upon, was discovered in the black church in the South. That's where Elvis got it. That's where Sam Cooke was in a gospel quartet before he became a, you know, multi-plot. Yes, absolutely. Go back and listen to some great stuff. So rock and roll came from gospel music and rhythm and blues came from gospel music, came from that black Pentecostal church tradition. And Larry's like, why should the devil have that? Why should he co-opt that? The only the only answer would be it's maybe racism that that uh, you would not expl- uh, allow black music into your church. So uh, I'm going to steal it back. We'll take a quick break. We're talking with Greg Thornberry. Greg is the president of the King's College, New York City. His brand new work, excellent, called Larry Norman. Why does the devil have all the good music? Stick with us. Greg Thornberry is as well. We'll see you in just a few minutes. Exactly. Greg Thornberry's with us. His brand new work is called that. Larry Norman, why does the devil have all the good music? All right, so Greg, up to this point, we've we've kind of you know, for people who don't know anything about Larry Norman, we've talked about him like he's a choir boy, yeah. like he's like the he's like the rock <laughs> version of William Carey or something. Right. Like <laughs> he's just <laughs> he was so sweet and kind. But the fact of the matter is, he was a wild thing, wasn't he? Yeah, he was uh, evangelicalism's one and only wild child. Um, not wild in the sense uh, during the the height of his career, yeah. of uh, you know, in, in the sense of any sort of um, scandal. You know, uh, scandal um, that comes later on <laughs> at, the, at the very end of his uh, at the very end of his life. But he definitely was polarizing. Um, he he was. Um, he was really an artist, uh, so everything that you could expect of someone like a, a, a Picasso or um, an Andy Warhol is the you know you might find of, of Larry Norman. He he had big dreams. He wanted to build an artist colony. He wanted to produce other Christian artists. He wanted to change the way the church thought about culture, and um, he uh, he definitely upset some people along the way, and he did some he did some uncomfortable conventional things. So, for example, um, his his third solo record called So Long Ago The Garden did not contain a lot of explicit references to to Jesus or or the Bible. 
actually it was Billy Graham and Francis Schaeffer that said, you know, if you can make it as a big secular rock star, maybe more people will be open to your witness about Jesus. And so he he released so long ago The Garden on MGM Verve Records, and he was basically nude on, on the front of the cover, but there was like a, a superimposed scene from uh, the from Zimbabwe, one of the uh, hilarious photographs from Zimbabwe with a lion on it. Now, he meant to communicate, this is Adam in the garden, and the heart of Aslan is sort of burning, you know, back there, you know, it was, it was metaphorical, but at that time, boy, you know, people, even in the Jesus movement, they thought, oh, this is too far, this is too artsy, Larry Norman's, you know, fallen away from, from the Lord, they were mad when he said, I don't want to make money off of Jesus, I just want to be a musician, and I want to, I want to talk to people that's never heard about Jesus. I don't want to be in this weird little Christian subculture. I don't want to be a professional God talker. Man, that made people mad. Mm-hmm. Greg, there is a, a a part in your book that I found really memorable. It's a it's a story that Larry Norman is recounting about a conversation he had with his dad, and this is early on when he's like maybe a late teen or maybe in his early 20s. And he's talking, you know, he's asking, you know, his dad, you know, why is there suffering in the world? And his dad says, well, that's because Adam and Eve, you know, met the serpent in the garden and they said yes to the serpent and no to God. And he said, no, no, no. But like, what, a, what, a, like, what does it mean, though? Why is there so su- Anyway, the conversation went on. And two were just seeing things differently. At the end of it, Larry says, here's the problem with my dad and I. And the reason we could never talk is because my dad had all the right answers, but didn't know any of the reasons. And I read that and I, I underlined it, I highlighted it, I wrote it down because I, that is the problem we're in today with the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, looking at their parents who, you know, for decades, you know, put the Republican Party and Christianity together. And, you know, now in, in the era of Trump, the kids are disillusioned and they're saying, wait, you know, my parents have the right answers, but they don't know any of the reasons. Do you see that do you see a link between that time and this time? Absolutely. I mean, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think Larry Norman was the forerunner of the spiritual nuns and those in this generation that says, we're not saying that there's not something substantive about uh, Jesus or the Bible, but what we don't want to see is faith being the same thing as ideology. And if it's just ideology, then it's just about politics. And if it's just about politics, that means it's probably not timeless and mm. true. Mm. And to know the questions behind the answers, you know, um, you, you have to listen. Every culture has a, a, a question that only the gospel can answer. But what we try to do is we just try to spit out all of our answers without really listening to the question. And we can maybe, in best case scenario, make a gospel presentation without really listening to what the person's major point of suffering in their life is. And uh, that takes uh, the the ear of an artist. Um, the, the, the task of interpretation of culture in our time is the difficulty of the art of listening. And that's one thing that Larry Norman definitely saw at the church growing up with his, with his father was this sort of tin ear to what was actually going on and just condemning people without 
actually understanding who they were and where they were coming from. And so he dedicated his life uh, to that cause. Interesting. Well, Greg, it's a fascinating look at a very particular time in American religious life and cultural life and this collision that could only make the one of a kind, Larry Norman. We thank you so much for your storytelling and your scholarship. It truly is an excellent read. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much, John. Thank you, Kathy, for having me on the program. Pleasure's ours. Larry Norman, Why Does the Devil Have All the Good Music? Dr. Gregory Allen Thornberry, the president of King's College in New York City. Information about this excellent work on our Facebook page, The Ride Home with John and Kathy. Larry Norman, Why Does the Devil Have All the Good Music? Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.